Good morning, everyone. It's phenomenal for me to be with you. Really, really excited about Things Jesus Never Said, Part 8. Um, I'm just leaving the teaching text on there because I think the picture is absolutely phenomenal. And I mean, there's a lot to learn there, a lot to see, and just a lot to uh, drink in. You guys know full well that we are in a series called Things Jesus Never Said. And uh, as we always do, let me just do a recap of what we've done for the first seven weeks, as this is our season finale, which is also part eight. So we started with God won't give you more than you can handle. And remember, all of these are things that Jesus never said. And in all the teachings, we actually offered what Jesus actually did say, which is way more encouraging, clear and edifying to us as believers. And even, I think, insightful to people who do not believe, but who think that this is actually stuff that Jesus we covered God wants you happy. We covered it doesn't matter what you believe. We covered it doesn't matter what you do. We covered do good unto others and they will do good to you. Part six was what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Part seven last week was your healing is guaranteed. And uh, this morning, part eight of the season finale is God helps those who help themselves. Now, as I already said, what's waiting for us in our next series, it's something I'm really excited about, and I'm really excited to just finish off our current series with us today. Now, guys, my hope or our hope is that this series was encouraging to you, that what Jesus actually did say became clear to you, it's really important for us, and that it drew you closer or that it drew all of us closer to Jesus himself, that it led to intimacy with God the Father, and that it made us more gospel-centered. So we tried to take all of these things Jesus never said and to look at them through the light of the gospel and then to actually just reaffirm the fact that we are gospel-centered people. Let me just see where we're headed next, back to the teaching text. So let me, um, let me just stop sharing my screen, then I might be able to look some of you in the eye. question that I want to start off this morning with is what if today's theme was true. What if today's theme was true? A couple of questions spring to mind. What if I can't help myself? Have you ever thought of that? Because if God only helps those who help themselves, what if I can't help myself? What if I know, uh, so, so what if I can't help myself would probably presuppose that I've thought about how I can help myself. Another question, what if I don't know how to help myself like I want to, but I don't know how? And now that I can't, then God won't help me. When will his assistance kick in? I mean, just think about this for a minute, right? So helping myself so that God can help me. Just curious to know, like, when will he start helping me? There's a whole new craze in the mountain biking world called e-bikes. Well, I think in the biking world, which is assisted bicycling or biking, right? So you use the pedals and then the bike assists you. It's called an e-bike. So maybe, you know, if this was true, then God's provision or God's help would be like an e-bike, right? I'm pedaling hard. I mean, at some point, his help will kick in. But like, when? If I do believe I should, uh, well, if I do what I believe I should do, this is helping myself now, right? Because this saying is true. Will he then do what I expect him to do, right? Doesn't it sound very conditional to you guys? It's like, okay, God, I need your help in A, B, and C. I'll make sure that I do D, E, and F. But when I do D, E, and F, I really want you to do A, B, and C, please, because that's how it works now, isn't it? This is a 
conditional kind of contractual vibe we've got going on here with one another. Let me ask another question if this was true. If I can't help myself, but I need help, where should I go then if God will only help me when I help myself? I mean, just think about that for a second. Or let me ask it even more plain. What does it take for God to help me? Now, guys, if this saying was true, I would like to put to you that we would be in a utterly hopeless situation. There's nothing certain about how God will help me if this saying is true. And to be blatantly honest with you, according to me, this uncertainty will certainly kill me. I won't be able to live with it. There's no solid foundation there. There's nothing to hold on to. As it is, God, uh, God helps those who help themselves. I believe that there's no hope or encouragement in this saying. So question then, why do people say it? Well, not even people. Why do I say it? Why do we say it? Why is this a saying that is so prevalent in our circles that we actually think that either the Bible or Jesus said it? I thought of two common examples of situations in which we might say this. So the one is after you have resolved or achieved something, but then you commend the result to Jesus, then we often say, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Think about a job, right? Got a new job, landed it. God was really faithful, but I mean, I did send in my CV. You know what I mean? And I did absolutely nail the interview. Why? Well, because God helps those who help themselves. You know, I took some resolve on my own. Or studies is another good one. I really praise Jesus for the fact that I passed my studies, but I do just want to say that I studied very, very hard. Because, you know, God helps those who help themselves. You know, I can't just sit and do nothing and then expect this result. So in those kind of situations where there's some sort of achievement or resolution that came, we are often tempted to say, God helps those who help themselves. And we actually believe it then, right? Because we feel good about what happened to us. Let me use another example of where I think this happens in our context. If someone who is being helped by someone else, now that someone else might be you, does not achieve the desired result of the help that is given. Think about a couple struggling in marriage and you are helping them, you're supporting them, you're praying for them, but nothing changes. Then we are tempted to say, well, you know, God only helps those who help themselves. And they're not helping themselves, even though we are helping them. And that's why God isn't helping them. Do you guys see that? Or let me use a financial struggle as another example. Someone is struggling, struggling financially and you are generously giving towards their struggle, but they are just not breaking the cycle. They're just not making concrete steps towards one another. One of those situations where we'll say, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves and or who help themselves. And it doesn't seem like that person is actually helping themselves. Just to back me up here, I searched on the Internet. So the Barna Group actually did a study. Uh, in 2017, which showed that 52% of practicing Christians strongly agreed that the Bible teaches God helps those who help themselves. Okay, not making this up, guys. Now, I know this research was done in the United States of America, but I think it can be quite similar in our context. So 52% of the people they polled said, yeah, 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 of course the Bible teaches that. I strongly agree. 
Now, Murundeni helped me to just think about where this actually came from, right? So he sussed out what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So uh, I thought that I'm going to have to look at the origins of God helps those who help themselves. Now, it does come from Greek philosophy, like way back in the day, even BC. But the actual English ver version of this quote we have, that is our theme for this week, was first penned in the 1600s. Okay, by an English politician called Algernon Sidney. If you forget anything today, make it that name, okay? Because this is really not that important to this teaching. But it is important to see that this saying has been around uh, for 420 odd years, right? Which means if people have been saying this for 420 years, and if people started believing for 420 years that this is actually something that Jesus said, it takes a lot of unlearning from us. To actually get it out of our heads, to get it out of our vocabulary, and to get it out of our foundational faith statements. Okay. So if this is another thing that Jesus never said, what did he actually say? And what does this mean to us? We've been asking these questions about these sayings all through the series. Now let's get back to the teaching text. I'm going to put it on the screen again as we will be dissecting the text. The teaching text for today comes from John chapter 14. Now, this is Jesus speaking, just some context. Within hours of his death, he'll die late, well, he'll die tomorrow. Uh, the struggle and the suffering will start tonight. And he's imparting his final words to his disciples. I mean, think about the weight of what Jesus is teaching them and saying to them in these situations. You guys know full well that the disciples are experiencing fear. They're experiencing distress. They are really uncertain. Some of them are really confused. I'm not reading this into the text, guys. Please go and read John chapters 14 to 17. And you'll see the disciples reply to what Jesus says. And you'll see these emotions coming through uh, in their replies. In his final words, Jesus is preparing them for what is to come. And he's preparing them for what is to come in the immediate future, as well as what is to come in the distant future. It's quite important. So something for now, but this something for now is also something for later, right? It's not only a momentary fix of everything that you're experiencing. This is something that will have some real impact in your life. It's something that will have some longevity in your life of faith. And here's what Jesus says to them in the teaching text. I'm going to leave you. I have to, right? Because I have to die. And then I have to go back to heaven. But I won't stop helping you. That's what he says in the teaching text. I'm going to leave you. But I won't stop helping you. Okay. So let's consider for a second, just before I put the teaching text back on, Jesus helping his disciples actually. And Jesus helping people in the gospel accounts, right? So just think, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Where did Jesus help his disciples? And where did he help other people who wasn't necessarily the chosen 12 that he chose to spend so much time with? Jesus clarifies his teaching to his disciples. That's one way of helping them. He tells a parable. They ask him, what does this mean? And he helps them by clarifying it. He also helps them to understand God's nature, to understand the law, 
to understand the kingdom of God through his teaching. That's all Jesus helping his disciples. He even helps them to get a great catch of fish. John 21, you guys well should know that story if you don't go and read John 21. It's fascinating. Jesus, no fish. And Jesus goes, just put the nets on the other side and we catch a colossal amount of fish. When they needed money to pay taxes, Matthew 17. Uh, Jesus, we have to pay our tax. It's quite awkward. I don't have any cash on me. I walked past the ATM earlier, but I didn't draw any money. Jesus goes, that's not a problem. Let me help you here. Go to the lake, get a fish, and then you'll get the coin out of the fish's mouth, and then you can pay your taxes. Think about Jesus healing people, and not only healing people, but healing specifically like Peter's mother-in-law. That's something that happened in Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 8. And I'm just going out these scripture references so that it'll help you to see, oh, wow, Jesus is quite the helper now, isn't he? He has helped them a lot and always with absolutely no return and no conditions. It's like, I am here to help you. Let's consider Jesus' interactions with other people. It's exactly the same way. He did clarifying, understanding, etc. for other people as well. Even people outside the Jews who were the covenant people of God. Like all people. Some had names like Yairus. And Jesus raised his daughter out of the dead. And some were not named like the woman who struggled with bleeding. But in the gospel accounts, we see Jesus helping others. None of these people ever helped themselves first. Can you guys see it? Reading the Gospels and believing that Jesus only helped those who helped themselves is absolutely impossible. Okay, now let's get back to the teaching text and let's see Jesus promising help. I'm going to put the text on the screen here. Now guys, Nerd alert. I'm going to go some Greek here. And it's going to be awesome. Because this is one of those portions of scripture where Greek actually brings the scripture alive. I've been reading the scriptures for 16 years now as a faithful believer. And uh, I have the privilege of being able to read biblical languages. Guys, this is one of those weekends where I prepared my sermon and I stumbled upon a Greek word and I went, ah, mind blown, nerd overload. I have to go lie on the floor first because all of a sudden the scripture makes even more sense to me. One Greek word, guys, one Greek word. And I encountered it while listening to a audio Bible in Alexandra Road. And I, I felt like I actually just have to pull over. Think about this for a second. It's phenomenal. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the word another. We're going to look at the word helper. And we're going to look at the word dwells. Okay. And then we'll see how Jesus promises help to us and what this help is like. Okay. So I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, first word, another. This was the Greek word that blew my head. I never knew that there's two Greek words for the English word another. One word is alos. You don't have to remember that. And the other word is heteros. You also don't have to remember that. But here's the difference between the two words. The one word, alos, is another thing. 
of the same kind, exactly the same. That would mean like, can I have another cup of coffee, please? What do I want? I want coffee and I want one that is the same as the one I just had. Does that make sense? Can I please have another cup of coffee? That's alos. Heteros is something of a similar kind, but different. Meaning, I would like to travel to another country. Okay, I mean, I'm in a country now, and I want to go to a country, but it's another country. It's a country that is different, like Botswana or Zim, Namibia, or wherever I want to go. It's not the same as the one that I'm in, even though in substance or in likeness, there is a similarity. You guys see that? Guess which one Jesus uses to say another helper. He uses the word alus. A helper that is the same, exactly like me. How cool is that? It's not like I'm sending you a helper that is different than what I was. It's I'm sending you a helper. It is another helper, but that is the same as I am. So what I did with you guys up until now, he'll do the same. How I was with you guys up until now, he'll be with you the same way. My comforting presence, my loving presence, my grace, my consistency, my strength, my everything that I've given to you, you will get another one like that. It's going to be the same. Oh, guys, I want to drop the iPad and just leave or break out into praise. Isn't that just a phenomenal, well, firstly, discovery in the biblical text, but secondly, reassuring word from Jesus himself. So like I am with you now, he will be with you. Phenomenal. Second word that I want us to look at is the word helper. So in Greek, that word is parakletos. Now, what's interesting is only John, the gospel writer, refers to the Holy Spirit as parakletos. And why? Well, because the word parakletos has so much semantic meaning, right? It's a word that has a wide variety of meanings. In our teaching text, it's translated as helper. It can also be translated as advocate, someone speaking on behalf of someone else. It can also be translated as Comforter, the big hug, guys. Well, I almost quoted Teletubbies now, which I'm not going to do, right? But I am a dad of toddlers, I just want to say. But he's also the big hugger. He's also the helper, the side-by-side -side person, walking with you, talking you through things, giving advice, giving wisdom. John intentionally chooses this word to say that you'll get another helper to be with you forever, and he'll do what Jesus did for you. Amongst other things, help you. Amongst other things, be your advocate. Amongst other things, comfort you. Isn't that just amazing? Right? Third word that I want us to look at is the word dwells. And then I also just want to keep my eye on the clock. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the word dwells is, is the Greek word menua. It gets used later in the Gospel of John, like the next chapter. Uh, I am the vine, and whoever dwells in me, it's the same word. 
Now, dwells is a, a word that means stay. Be. It is a deeply relational word. Have you guys ever, after a long day, a long week, or something hectic that you had to do, have you ever said the words, I just want to be? Now, that's a good description for menua. Unhurried, nowhere else to go, want to be here, and I want to be fully present. That's what Jesus says the helper will be for us, is he will stay with us. He will be with us. He will be present with us. I know that marriage isn't always the best illustration for everything, but I think in this sense, marriage is. So let's talk about road tripping. I love road tripping. Absolutely love it. There's nothing, guys, like arm on the window, steering wheel gripped with two fingers, some good tunes going here, 120 k's an hour, with Marie, 50 centimeters to my left. None of us want to be anywhere else, and none of us can be anywhere else. We just are. And when we are in that space, we have phenomenal conversations. Absolutely brilliant. Like uh, a, a next level marriage course for the Mayers would be like 3,000 kilos behind the wheel. Because that's all we need. Why? Because we are dwelling with one another. We are abiding with one another. We are being with one another. Something happens in that moment. That is what the Holy Spirit does to us. So, I mean, if this was my translation, I would have said, you know him for he will go on road trips with you and will be in you. Okay, but that's just my translation and I'm not a Bible translator. But that's the point, is he dwells with us in the same way that Marie and I go on a road trip and we are together, close to one another, headed in the same direction, feeling close, experiencing, experiencing intimacy, not being split from one another, knowing exactly where the other person is and who they are and relating to them in a deep way. That is what the helper does to us. Let's be honest. How much more hopeful and encouraging is this than the situation I described in the beginning? Actually having no certainty. And how awesome is it that we can have two verses packed with so much meaning? I think the best humoristic way to say this is to say, keep calm and receive the Holy Spirit. It's really lame, guys. If we were with each other together now, I would have at least expected a few laughs or chuckles, <laughs> right? But this is the truth. Like, if you need help, keep calm and receive the Holy Spirit. Because this is what the Spirit does. Now, you can say to me, Rainer, thank you so much. Absolutely phenomenal for unpacking the scene around the table for us. I understand it better. I do just want to point you to the fact that this was words that were said to his disciples. The original 12 around the table. What does this mean for us? Well, I would like to put it to you that this was not only for his disciples, but it is also for us. So I'm going to quote two scriptures 
from the Apostle Paul. The first one I call difficult Paul, hashtag classic Paul. And the second one I call easier Paul, right? Some of Paul's writings are very difficult. Some are kind of intermediate. And then you find some easy ones. So I'm going to quote a next level one first, pro. And then I'm going to go back to novice or amateur. But I want you to see what Paul says. So this is Paul in Romans 8, uh, verses 1 to 4. He says, There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done, that's important, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk, walk, dwell, journey, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Do you guys see the words of John 14 also being echoed in this passage? Why was John 14 not only for Jesus' original disciples, but for us today now? It's because God did for us what we couldn't do. And that is help ourselves. Isn't it ironic? God helps those who help themselves. Okay, great. I cannot help myself. And therefore, I need God's help. And then the Apostle Paul says in the beginning of Romans chapter 8, God did it for you. What God has done, verse 3 says. So the beauty of how God works in our lives is that he doesn't require us to try to clean it up first or to fix it ourselves first, guys. That's great news. That is the gospel. God actually, for us as believers and as his children, he invites us to bring him into the situation from the very very beginning. It's just the way it is. God, I need help. And I'm going to start with you. I'm not going to try and hustle or sort out or fix first. I need it from you. Before you try to do it yourself, bring it to God first. That is how salvation works. And that is how our walk with Christ works. That's what Romans 8 says. The reality is, if we take this scripture, that God helps, uh, the reality isn't, sorry, that God helps those who help themselves but that God helps those who realize that they can't help themselves. You guys see the great turnaround. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. Now, I don't think this is the antithesis or the opposite of God helps those who help themselves. I'll offer that one a little bit later. Let's look at um, Ephesians 2. This is the one I call easier for. For by grace. Yes, come on. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not for by performance you have been saved through all your awesomeness. For by likes on Instagram you have been saved through your influence. Nothing like that. It's grace and it's faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. There we go. What God has done. Think of John. He will give to you. It comes from God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And I love this verse 10. Why? 
all of this, why did God save us? By faith. Ach, through grace, by faith. Because we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not only helping us to be saved, but helping us to do what we were created to do, to become who we were created to become, to leave the legacy that he wants us to leave, to actually busy be busy with the things that bring the kingdom of God and that manifests the kingdom of God. But he did it for us. It's not by our own doing. I would like to put to you that God helps those who have the Holy Spirit in them. God helps those who have the Holy Spirit in them. Let's land here. My dear friends and brothers and sisters, God knows our struggles. He knows what we go through. We'll read this in the benediction a little bit later. God understands our weaknesses and he has provided a remedy for them. Think about this. I mentioned the, desire, the disciples in the beginning. Fearful, confused, unsettled, and uncertain. God knows it. And that's why he gave the remedy. And the remedy was that I'll give you the helper. Exactly like I was to you, he will be to you. All the help we need for every aspect of our lives is to be found at the throne of grace. And he's made it really simple. Because he's made a way for us to approach the throne of grace. From our own spiritual journey, what I can tell you is that the more that you depend on God's grace, the more help you will receive. And that's not conditional. That's just a given. Because depending on God's grace leads to us being intimate with him, leads to him helping us in the way that we ought to be helped. In other words, if I can say plainly, the more helpless you realize you are, the more God steps in to help you. And as a final exhortation, I'd just like to say to us that we should not forget this. Let us not forget this. And us, specifically this morning, is us, Fellowship City. The people who God have called to this time and to this place. This family of faith, this transcultural community that God has put together. Let us not forget this. And let us keep on reminding one another of this. That is the joy and the beauty and the privilege of Christian community is the fact that we can remind each other of these things continuously. That when we seem to be struggling on our own, that we can remind each other of this. That when we say in community, I really need help, that it'll be quick off of our lips. Well, then let's ask the Holy Spirit to give it to you. Let's go to the throne of grace where help is to be found. This is such a beautiful thing to happen in the bonds of marriage. If you're married for husband and wife to remind one another that God is the one who helps us. God is the one who strengthens us through his Holy Spirit. Comfort, advocacy, help, wisdom. It's all to be found there. I can see that you don't know where this business deal is going. Let's ask the Spirit for help. I can see that you are worn down by whatever is happening at your workplace. Let's ask the Spirit for help. 
I can see that you need wisdom because of this decision that needs to happen. Let's ask the Spirit for help. Guys, we can remind each other of that because it is the truth. Because God has given us His Spirit so that His Spirit can help us. And not only help us in terms of ticking off a to-do list that we give to Him, but helping us in the way that we need it, in the way that Jesus helped His disciples and helped people while He was on earth. If you're not married and you're single, your community is meant to remind you of this. And you are a gift to your community because you can remind your community of this. We often speak about what a gift singles are to married folk. Can you imagine if you sit around a lounge and a, both people in a married couple feel worn out and tired and distressed? And the single person can say, then guys, can I remind the both of you? that our help is to be found in Jesus. Can I remind the both of you that the Spirit is on hand and ready to help, even though you might feel helpless and you have no idea what you ought to do next. If you are watching this video, or listening to the sermon, and you are not a believer, I think the exhortation is to, well, the exhortation is like encouragement, that the encouragement to you would be to know that help is to be found and that God himself, who became a human being, who helped a handful of people for three years in his life, actually comes to us today through his Holy Spirit to help us in the same way. We don't even need to feel at wit's end or even need to feel helpless because help is to be found by God himself who dwells in us as Christians through the Holy Spirit. Praise Jesus for the fact that he helped. And praise Jesus for the fact that he has given us another helper like him to help us in the same way. And not only that, that he dwells inside of us, that he is with us in deep relational intimacy as he helps us on this journey of faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray you for your tender, kind, and loving words that you spoke to your disciples while sitting around a table with them that we could read this morning. We praise you for the fact that these words are true for us as well. We praise you that help is to be found with you. And we praise you that you've made it so easy and that you've made a way for us to access this help. We never want to feel as uncertain and hopeless as we feel when we hear the words, God helps those who help themselves. We much rather want to stand on the truth that you, Father God, help us uh, because you dwell in us through your Holy Spirit. May we be encouraged by this word this morning. May we remind each other of this word. And may we live um, in the knowledge and the certainty of this biblical truth. And may this make all the difference, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of the people um, who we are in relationship with and whose lives are being touched by our own. We pray that in your name, Lord Jesus.